Or take your Bibles while you're standing, if you would, and open to the book of First Peter. First Peter. I so appreciate those who serve each week down in the children's classes and in the nursery. And sometimes I get in trouble when I preach because we let out earlier than normal when I'm preaching. And so Brother Seitz, Steve Seitz, gets angry with me sometimes. And so I try to warn them. And so this morning I, I sent him a text and I said, hey, just so you know, I'm preaching today. And so we're probably going to get out early. And he said, I'll give you $20 to go along. So we're going to start the bidding today, $50, if anybody wants me to get out a little bit early. <laughs> any, any, <laughs> no? Okay, we'll go along. First Peter chapter number two, and we're going to read, beginning in verse 18, the text that we're about to read, and the passages really that surround it are all about how Christians are to live on mission uh, for Christ, even when we're surrounded by by people, by by a culture that is anything but Christian. And already in this chapter or previous, what we're about to read, he's instructed us how to live as citizens um, in an unholy society. In this passage, he's going to talk about how uh, uh, servants ought to live under unholy, ungodly masters. In the next chapter, he begins in in the home and how um, godly wives are to live with ungodly husbands. So that's what this entire passage is, is about. And the, and the point in all of it is that we're not just to try to survive. We're not just to try to get through to the end and then go to heaven. But instead, we're to live for Christ. We're to be on mission for him in an effort to reach those around us for the gospel for Christ. And multiple times throughout the text leading up to this, he says, if you'll keep your good works going despite those around you, then they're going to behold your good works. They're going to see your good works, and as a result of it, they're going to, um, they're going to glorify God. And so we're going to begin reading in verse 18. He's talking to servants initially, then he transitions to how we are to suffer, and then the example that we have. So 1 Peter 2.18, servants be subject to your masters with all fear. And I want to encourage you as we read these next eight or so verses to really try to lock in on God's word. It's easy to be distracted and think about lots of other things, but God's word is powerful and it it will have an impact on us if we open our minds to it as the seed is sown. So really focus in on what God has to say to us in these words. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward those that are crooked. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened 
not, but committed himself to him who ju- that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would bless your word this morning, that it would not return empty, it would not return void, but it would, it would find its way into each of our hearts. It would, it, would, it would fall on good soil, ready to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would do a, a work in, in our minds as well as, as our hearts today, God. Lord, would you take your word and, and change lives and restore those, Lord, who are broken. I pray, God, that you would those that are lost, that are far from you, that you would draw them in in your love and mercy today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The first thing I want us to see this morning is going to come across very negatively. And that is that Christ has called us into suffering. Look at verse 21 again. For even hereunto were ye called. For this purpose. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. If you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have a calling on you into suffering. And if you begin following him with an expectation that everything was just going to be perfect and you were never going to have any problems in your life, you were never going to experience any pain, you were never going to experience any suffering, then, then somebody lied to you. Even in the Old Testament, in Psalm 34, 19, the psalmist said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Jesus told his own disciples in John 15, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In that same conversation in John 16, he said, In this world ye shall have tribulation. Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, and he said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's no fine print with following Jesus. He, he He doesn't... Tell us one thing and then, and then give us something else. He tells us on the, in the beginning, if you follow me, you will have tribulation. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In Mark chapter number 8, Jesus gathered all the people that were around him, including his disciples, and, and he said this to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and, and take up his cross and follow me. If you want to follow me, Jesus said, whosoever, anybody can come. Anybody's welcome, but just know that if you follow me, that there's going to be some expectations. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to tell yourself no sometimes. Some of the things that maybe you were hoping for and wanting in your life, you're going to have to put those things away and follow me exclusively. Now know that on the other end of it, that it's going to be all worth it all. There's no regrets in following Jesus, but if you're going to follow him, you have to deny yourself. And not only that, but you have to put on this instrument of suffering, the cross. The cross had one purpose, and that was to bring suffering. 
And he said, if you will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his own cross and follow me. Suffering is a part of following. Verse 19 says, For this is thankworthy, worthy of thanks. If a man for conscience sake toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So what he's saying is if you, if you went and stole a TV from Walmart and then you're having to face a judge and pay fines because of it, but, but you're handling that okay, like you don't get a pat on the back for that. If you did something wrong and you're suffering because of your wrongdoing, there's, that, 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 that's no big deal. But he said if in, in, in doing right, if in living righteously, if in obeying God's word, if in submitting to the, 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 our, our, our Lord, if then we suffer, this is thankworthy. This is pleasing to God. If your suffering is a result of good works, that's acceptable. Not all suffering is commendable, but this suffering for him is commendable. We shouldn't look to suffer, but when it happens, and it will, we actually have reason to be thankful for it. Turn just a page or so to the right to chapter 4 of the same book. 1 Peter 4.13, Peter writes, But rejoice! Inasmuch as ye are partakers in Christ's suffering. Be happy because you're joining in fellowship with the suffering of your Savior. That when his glory shall be revealed, he may be glad also with exceeding joy. Be thankful now because one day you're going to be exceeding joyful. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. So if we suffer for the right reasons and in the right spirit, we have reason to be thankful and glad, and one day we'll, be, we'll have exceeding joy. In James 1, 2, James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Whatever temptations you find yourself in, be glad that you're in them. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to the human mind. Like, why would I be glad when things are going bad? Why would I be thankful when I'm suffering, especially when I'm not suffering for doing wrong, but I'm suffering for doing the things that God told me to do? Why would I be thankful? And he goes on to say the reason is because God is using those trials and those suffering in your life to mold you into exactly what he wants you to be with your life, which is going to bring the greatest joy of all. Nothing draws us closer to our maker and nothing molds us into what God wants us to be more than trials, suffering. Had Joseph not been sold by his brothers and thrown into a pit, sold as slaves in a foreign wicked nation, had he not been then lied about by his owner, thrown into prison, and spent years there when he did nothing wrong, had all of that not taken place, and he would not have been ready when God needed him to lead the people of Egypt and ultimately to save the nation of Israel during that time of famine. Had the untimely death of Mary and Martha's brother not taken place, then they never would have been able to sit back and hear Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth. And, and, and had there never been a cross then there never would have been a resurrection that we're celebrating here today. 
God uses trials as a way to fulfill his purposes and mold us into what he would have us to be. Christ has called his children into his suffering. Peter said this in the next chapter, 412. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Don't think what, what, don't think what you're going through is strange. You, don't, don't think it's strange concerning this fiery trial that's as though, as though you're somehow unique in that. No, no, all, this is what God's people are called into. Christ has called us into suffering. But secondly, Christ has demonstrated how we are to suffer. The Lord doesn't call us into something that he wasn't willing to endure himself. He's not a do-as-I-say-and-not-as-I-do kind of a master. Back in chapter 2, verse 21 says, For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. In a couple of days, we're going to have a, a, a graduation for our kindergartners here. And they're excited about it. But if you were to go back seven or eight months, when they're just beginning to learn to read and to write, it, it begins with them giving a, being given a, a piece of paper with letters on it, one letter at a time. And, and you have all of these perfectly formed letters on a piece of paper. And they're given a pencil, and they're shown how to, how to hold the pencil. And their teacher says, okay, now what I want you to do is take that pencil and put it right right here on this letter that someone has already formed for you, and I want you to trace this exactly, exactly like what's on the paper. I want you to take that pencil and exactly what you see, I want you to, just like that. And then they do it again, and 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 they do it again, until the teacher can then give them a, a blank piece of paper, and they can take that same pencil, and they can now draw those letters on their own. They're, giving a, they're given a perfect pattern, a perfect pattern and they're saying take this and this is the way that you are to do it this is the model now replicate it and Jesus gave us that same model he said you were called to suffer even as I suffered and left you an, an, an example Jesus gave us a perfect model this is the way that God's people are to suffer and this is the way that you are to live and we are to replicate we are to we are to tr- seek to be like him in every way including the way that we suffer we will experience suffering if we're going to follow him, but Christ gave us a perfect example of how we are to do it. Jesus wasn't the first to suffer for righteous living. We already mentioned Joseph. Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel in Philippi, and they began beating them in public in the city square and dragged them into prison for preaching. Daniel simply prayed to God three times a day, even when he was told not to. And for doing that, the, the, the leaders there threw him into a den of lions to be eaten alive. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow before this false god, this false idol that the king had made for himself. They refused to do it. And so what, what happened to them? They were thrown into a furnace of fire to be burned alive. Stephen was preaching in the early part of Acts, preaching the gospel, and, and, and the people that heard him, 
began to be so angry that they started picking up rocks, large rocks, and, and everybody together throwing rocks at this man over and over and over again until his face was deformed and his bones were broken and ultimately he was left for dead, no life left in him. He did nothing wrong, he just preached, and yet he was suffering for Christ's sake. Although we've never experienced anything quite like this, we've all been falsely accused. You've, been, you've all been lied about. If you have siblings, your, your siblings have, your brother and sister blame things on you that you didn't do, right? And you probably got in trouble for it. It happened to all of us. It happens at work. It happens. We're, we are falsely accused. We're blamed for things we did not do. But, I, but all, just as true as that is, I can say with 100% certainty that there have been things that you've done wrong that you've gotten away with. You should have been punished for something, but you weren't caught. But not Jesus. He's the only one who never did anything worthy of judgment. He's the only one who ever lived who never did anything wrong. Nothing wrong at all. He was without sin. You and I can't even go a day without sin, and he has gone from through all eternity without so much as a wrong word or act. And yet he suffered. But in his suffering, he demonstrated for us. He gave us that model of how we are to suffer. Verse 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, no deceit, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not. He didn't retaliate in any way. The word revile means to heap abuse upon. He was verbally abused in the worst possible way. Matthew 26, 67 says, Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. They hit him with their fists, with the palms of their hands. Others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ. Who is he that smote thee? They mocked him. They buffeted him. They beat him with their fists. They beat him with their palms of, his, of their hands. They, they, they verbally abused him. They, they reviled him. And yet all of that he did not revile himself. We're never more like Christ than when we, when we suffer persecution well. This, this passage, going back to the previous chapter, it's all about living and submitting to God's authority. I've already mentioned that. Citizens and ungodly governments and servants to their masters and, 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 and wives submitting to unbelieving husbands. And we understand that Jesus willingly put himself under the authority of his heavenly father when he came to earth, but, but he also put himself under the authority of this human government. When he, was in the, when he was in the garden that night and the soldiers came, he didn't have to go with them, but he chose to. He willingly submitted himself to them. When they, when, they, when they placed that crown of thorns and they pressed it into his head so that blood was running on all sides of his, of his face and they began to strip him of all of his clothes and, and beat him with a, with a whip with glass and, and bones attached and they opened his flesh over and over and over and over again and they, they placed a robe on him to mock him and, they, and, they, and then they said, now prophesy, king, who is it that, who is it that hit you? Who smote you? 
He submitted himself to this willingly. Willingly. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But notice this phrase at the end of verse 23. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Jesus could have trusted in his own verbal prowess. Nobody ever spoke like Jesus. He could have taken their poisonous words that were coming at him and, and thrown them back them and, and really had his way. He could have crushed them with his words. No doubt Jesus could have crushed them with his words. He knew everything about them, and yet he chose not to. He, he had the power to stop them. The same words that spoke this world into existence could have, with just a, just a spoken word, could have taken their bodies and just disintegrated them on the spot. He could have done that. Jesus had the power to do that. And yet, instead, he didn't retaliate, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He committed himself to his father. He submitted to his father. You, you may have within you the wit, the, the quick tongue to be able to respond and really put people in their place whenever they jab at you verbally. You may have the physical power to be able to, to, be able to stop anyone who would, who would dare to stand against you. But we're to follow Christ's example of suffering and persecution. You see, simply holding your tongue when somebody speaks against you it, it is a good thing, but, that, but that's, not, that's not enough. That's not, what, that's not what he did, because if all you do is have enough self-control to say, I'm not going to, I'm not, I, I, could, I know I could, I know I could push in your place. If you even knew the things that are going in my mind right now, I could shut you up right now, but I'm not going to because I'm going to be a good Christian, right? You could say that. But, but, but if, you, if, if that's all you're doing, then you're going to be sitting back and just waiting, waiting for God to judge. Okay, why, why, why are they still not punished? Why, why are they still getting by with it? What's going on here? What are, we, what are we waiting on? But what Jesus did was truly give it to God. He committed himself to him that judges righteously. God is the just one. If God chooses to judge them in this life for their actions, so be it. If God chooses to judge them in the next life, so be it. If God chooses to bring them to a place of repentance and salvation so that their sin is instead judged in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, then so, so be it. I'm committing this to God. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to follow the model of my Savior. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to commit it instead to the one who judges righteously. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Christ has called his people into suffering. And Christ has demonstrated for us how we are to suffer. Lastly, Christ has revealed the reward of suffering. Verse 19, again. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. If you suffer in the right way, for the right reason, for doing right, this is thankworthy. For what glory is it when you be buff if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, that, this is acceptable with God. You can't please everybody. And if you try, you're going to be 
miserable. But there is one whose opinion matters more than anyone else in the world. And I've been a believer for a long time. I've been going to church for a long time. And, and i got to tell you that this thing really is a struggle for me of just living living for the, the acceptance of one, living for one, living to please one, living to please my Savior who died for me. And it's not that we're to disregard everybody else and say, I don't care about you, I don't care about my family, I don't care about my, my friends, I don't, all I care, I don't care about any, it's, 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 not, it's not saying that, but instead it's saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to live in such a way today that, that I know God will be pleased, God will accept my actions, and it, it may be that everybody else is displeased with what, what I'm doing right now, it may be that they have got a problem with it, I may even lose some friends, they may think I should stand up, but, but I, I'm going to follow God. And when we do that, when we suffer as he did, it's acceptable to God. It's acceptable to God when we suffer well. That's what he said. This is acceptable with God. The reward of suffering is it pleases the Lord. Not only that, but look in verse 24. This is one of the great statements in all of Scripture. Who his own self... Bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. This is the, the gospel message. That, that we were full of sin, we were dirty, we were filthy, despicable. On a, on a collision course with an eternity of, of, of torment in the lake of fire but God in his mercy saw our situation and, and long before he ever spoke the world into existence he set a plan in motion which would send his only son Jesus to the earth to pay and die for our sins and bear, his, bear our sins on his own body Isaiah 53 says it like this the Lord hath laid on him on, his, on, on, on Christ, on his own son, the one that he loved. The, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our iniquity. God, the Holy Father, placed all of our iniquity on his own son's body that day. And the effects of that were so great that for hours the earth went completely black in the middle of the day. The father who had never turned his face for even a moment from his son could not look on your sin, could not look on my sin. And so he, was, he, he looked away from his own son. There was separation that had never taken place before between Christ and between his father. And Christ Jesus, by taking our, all of our sins, all of our iniquities upon his body and, and shedding his perfect, precious blood that paid a sin debt that you and I could never have paid otherwise, and, and, and those stripes that were inflicted on him in some miraculous way brought us healing. By his stripes, we are healed. Verse 24 says, his own, his, his own self. You see, it had to be Jesus. It had to be Jesus bearing our sins on his body. He was the only one who could have done it. The only perfect, spotless lamb. Signified Centuries before, when they, would, when they would 
bring these perfect, spotless animals and sacrifice them to their God. Those looking ahead to this perfect lamb. Behold, like John said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He had now come and he had now hung willingly on the cross and all the iniquities for all time for every one of us and everyone outside of this room as far as the eye could see was placed by the Father on his Son. He bare our sins on his own body. Only Jesus could have done that. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus. And when we accept this free gift of grace offered by Christ, when we call upon him in in faith, something wonderful happens. Romans 6, 6 says it like this, that our old man... That is the, un, the old man, the unsaved man, the natural man, the, the filthy man, the dirty one, the, the sinful desires that are within us. The old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, from now on, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. We just read verse 24 from our text in 1 Peter 2 that says, We, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. My sins were crucified with Jesus that day on the cross. My sins were placed by the Father onto the Son, and on that day, when that blood was shed, my sins were on Him, and they were crucified. And I I can't explain everything about it. I don't know exactly how it happened, but by faith, I know that it did. I know that my sins were, were placed on Him, were crucified with Him, and were buried with Him. And now... I'm dead to sin. My sin is dead. I no longer have to be a slave to something that is dead. My de- my, I am dead to sin. I, it no longer rules over me. And said, now I'm free to live for my master. I'm free to live for the one that gave his life for me. I'm free to, to serve for the rest of my life, to be a servant to the one who, who took my sins away. Christ rules in me, not sin. If you're a believer, then Christ now rules in you. Sin does not rule in you. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That's what Paul said. You don't have to obey sinful desires anymore. You don't have to. You have freedom. Free to obey Christ. The rewards of God's suffering is that it pleases the one who saved us. There's healing, spiritual healing. And thirdly, Look at the hope that we have in verse 25. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Not only did suffering, his suffering bring us healing, but it gave us hope. Without Jesus, we were like sheep out in the middle of a wilderness somewhere with no, nowhere to go, no intentions, just, just wandering about, going through life, no direction, nowhere to go, no hope of anything beyond that, no hope of a future beyond that, just sheep wandering aimlessly through life. But because of what Christ did for us, because of his finished work on the cross and we put our faith in what he did on the cross that day and we put our faith in the fact that he didn't stay in the ground but three days later he resurrected from the grave and the same power that, 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 that raised him up from the dead gives us power to live a new life as well 
And because of that, we now have hope. We have a shepherd who loves us. We have a shepherd who, who cares for us. We have a shepherd who leads us wherever we go. He's leading us and he protects us. Our shepherd is protecting us from the enemies that would assault us. And he's leading us about where to go and he's giving us direction and he's giving us hope. This is all the result of what Christ did for us. And if you think that you're too bad, if you think today that you're too bad for Jesus to save you, then you're exactly the kind of person that Christ died for. Amen. If you follow Jesus through the Gospels, just, just read the Gospels quickly, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and take note of the kind of people that Jesus got close to all the time. He ran towards the ones that everybody else was running away, running away from. He ran towards the ones that were sick, lame. I read this morning or yesterday of him putting his hands on the tongue of somebody. Now, to me, that sounds kind of gross, but Jesus didn't care about touching. He didn't mind touching people that I would think were gross. He didn't mind getting close to the lepers. Everybody else said, no, no, get outside the city, get away from me, but not Jesus. He saw people, and he saw their need, and he said, I want to help them. I want to help them. The ones that were so far away, like the, the demon at, at, at Gadara, everybody was scared of him, the demon-possessed man. Everybody was scared of him, but not Jesus. Jesus ran towards him. He says, I, I see a need, and I want to help this person. My point is, no matter, no matter how you see yourself, what Jesus sees is your need. And he wants to help you in your need. He doesn't want to leave you where you are in your struggling and your, and your pain in the torment that you're in, in the depression that you're in, in the sin that you're in, he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to deliver you. He came to this earth to deliver you. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. You are not too far away for Jesus to find you. You are just the type of person he's looking for this morning. And if you've never accepted the gift of salvation, paid for by the blood, the perfect blood of Jesus Christ, then why not today? He's coming to you. He's, he's drawing you. He's reaching out. Even this morning, he's reaching out his arms to you and saying, come, come, come. Why would you run away from the only one who cares enough to run to you? Today can be the day of salvation for you. Today can be the day that your life is changed forever, that you have hope. You're, not, you're no longer walking aimlessly through this desert place. You're no longer living in the, the, the pain and the hurt. Christ brings spiritual healing. He gives us hope. He gives us hope. Today, you ought to come to him. If you're suffering today, if you're suffering for the cause of Christ today, take joy knowing that one day, one day, there's going to be exceeding joy for your suffering. And God is pleased. If you're, if you're suffering well, God is pleased with it. God is, it's acceptable to him. There's nothing more Fulfilling in life, the knowing that we're following our Savior. There was nothing more fulfilling than knowing that I'm pleasing the one who did so much for me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In just a couple of moments, the piano is going to start playing, and I'm, I'm going to invite you today to come to Christ. I'm going to invite you to, to come to him. He, he, he's, he's calling you. He's, he's got his arms open wide. He wants you to come to him, but, but you have to come. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but you must call upon the name of the Lord. If you're sitting here in my voice right now and you are not sure 
you're not sure that you're a part of the family of God, you're not sure that he's guiding you and leading you in your life, then why not today? I'm going to be standing in the front in just a moment. You can walk forward, talk to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll point you to someone that would love to sit down with the word of God and just show you from the scripture how you can be saved, how you can be converted, how you can have a new father, a new savior. Perhaps you just want to pray there in your seat, and that's fine too. Whatever you're going through this morning, I, I pray that our desire would be to follow Christ, follow his example, follow his model to, to suffering, not to run away from it. Suffering brings hope. Suffering brings healing. Don't run away from it. Just like the song we sang, the, the calm on the other side of the storm will be better because of the storm that we were in. You may not be enjoying it right now, but when you get to the other side, you're going to look back and say, I'm thankful for the storm. I'm thankful for God bringing me through that. I'm thankful for what he taught me in that moment. I'm going to pray. As soon as I finish praying, I want to invite you to come. Lord, I th thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the great sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. Lord, that he didn't just take the sins of the whole world, but he took my sins, my wicked sins upon his own body. Thank you for drawing me to salvation many years ago. Thank you today, Lord, for drawing people in this room to salvation. I pray, God, that they would have the courage to step out by faith, reach out to you, Lord, and call upon you as their Savior.